1: Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa, where we always give you news from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you live from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, and we're on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. We're also online. We're available there as well, www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samara Mangesi, and with me in studio tonight, driving the show, is Amanda Machaka, Tracy Boomgaard, and Nedwet Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Families of those who perished in Ethiopian airline crash arrive in Kenya. South Africa kicks off a campaign aimed at highlighting the importance of good sleep health for individuals to best achieve their personal, family and professional goals. In economics, bustling, bustling a border between Rwanda and Uganda becomes a ghost town amid tensions between the two countries. And lastly, in sport, Russian athletes will remain banned from international competitions until further notice. But first, let's find out what's happening in the world of news. Here is Amanda.
2: Thank you, Samara. Good evening. Judges in Algeria have become the latest group to turn against President Abdelaziz Bouteflika's bid for a fifth term in office. Lawyers launched a 48-hour walkout to demand the Constitutional Council reject the 82-year-old's re-election bid on the grounds of incapacity to carry out the role. The council has until Thursday to rule on candidates for the April 18th election. The BBC's Mark Lowen reports.
1: Bit by bit, the pressure is increasing on President Bouteflika to abandon his plans for a fifth term in office. Amid mass protests that have entered their third week, more than a 1,000 judges have now refused to oversee next month's election if the ailing 82-year-old stands, prompting a rebuke from the Justice Minister. Top clerics have criticised pressure on them to issue pro-government sermons and the chief of staff said the military and the people have a united vision of the future, the clearest sign yet that Algeria's powerful armed forces are sympathetic to the protests.
2: Airlines in Ethiopia, China and Indonesia have grounded jets of Boeing 737 MAX 8. These airs investigators continue their probe into a brand new passenger jet that crashed outside Addis Ababa at the weekend, killing all 157 people on board. They have since recovered the cockpit voice recorder and the digital flight data recorder. The Nairobi-bound plane smashed into a field just six minutes. After takeoff, as the pilot alerted controllers of difficulties. Amongst those killed were UN staff and officials heading to Nairobi for a UN environment conference. The plane that crashed was less than four months old. It had been delivered on November 15. Meanwhile, the United Nations Environment Assembly, the world's gathering of environment ministers, experts as well as civil society organization, have paid tribute to those who died in the Ethiopian Airlines plane crash in Addis Ababa on Sunday. Delegates attending the conference as well as United Nations staff held a moment of silence in honor of victims of the tragic crash. Meanwhile, the United Nations Assembly opened with an urgent call to action to rethink consumption behavior for the sake of the planet. Planet Health, Acting Director General in UN Office Nairobi, Maimuna Sheriff.
3: As we mourn, let us reflect that our colleagues were willing to travel and work far from their homes and loved ones to help make the world a better place to live.
2: Meteorologists have issued a tropical cyclone warning in Mozambique after at least 10 people were killed in flooding. More than 60,000 people continue to be affected by floods in the Tete and Zambezia provinces. Authorities have warned that at least 120,000 people are at risk of flooding and heavy rains in the coming days. And finally, the World Health Organization has launched a strategy to protect people worldwide over the next decade against the threat of influenza, warning that new pandemics are inevitable. According to WHO, influenza epidemics, which are largely seasonal, affect around 1 billion people and kill hundreds of thousands annually. The organization's new strategy for
4: 2019 through 2030 aims to prevent seasonal influenza, control the virus's spread from animals to humans, and prepare for the next pandemic. It calls for every country to strengthen routine health programs and to develop tailor-made influenza programs for disease response, prevention, control, and preparedness. The organization recommends annual flu vaccines as the most effective way to prevent the spread of the disease, especially for health care workers and people at higher risk of influenza complications. Kumbuzile
2: Tabete, SABC News. For Channel Africa News, I'm Amanda Machaka.
1: From Nairobi comes a report that 25 of the 32 families of Kenyan citizens that perished in last Sunday last Sunday's plane crash in Ethiopia are now in Addis Ababa after Kenyan authorities flew them there. Their arrival there coincides with another report that China has joined Ethiopia in grounding all the Boeing 737 Max aircrafts. James Shimanyula reports.
5: So far, no bodies have been identified by families of 32 Kenyans who perished in a plane crash in ethiopia this past sunday up to now only 25 families of the people that perished in the plane have arrived in the ethiopian capital addis ababa more five families are expected to arrive there tomorrow tuesday bringing to 32 families of the people who died in the crash the arrival of the families in Ethiopia was confirmed by Kenya's transport minister, James Macharia, when he spoke to local and foreign journalists in the capital, Nairobi.
6: Out of the 32 uh, passengers who were on board, the teams have managed to reach out and talk to uh, 25 families out of the 32. And so we still got about 7 to go. These kind of things take time. And so we are seeking for patience in terms of, um, you know, allowing the investigators, the specialists, the experts to carry out this very complex
5: process of investigation. That was Kenya's Transport Minister, James Macharia. As Macharia spoke, Chief Executive Officer of Ethiopian Airlines, Tewalde, Gebre Mariam, announced that his government has grounded all Boeing 737 MAX 8 aircraft following the crash that occurred last Sunday in which 157 people perished including a crew of 8.
6: On the incident, we have grounded all Boeing B737-8 MAX fleet which Topia Alliance was operating and which was involved in yesterday's accident as a precaution safety measure. But this does not mean that the incident was related with defects on this specific fleet. But we have taken this as an extra safety precaution so that the remaining investigations
5: will continue. The Walde Gabriel Mariam, Chief Executive Officer of Ethiopian Airlines, speaking about his government's decision to ground all Boeing 737 MAX 8 aircraft. Also joining Ethiopia in a grounding of the aircraft is China. In a statement, China's Civil Aviation Administration said that it had asked domestic airlines to temporarily ground all Boeing 737 MAX 8 jets. It was the first time for China to take the lead in ordering the grounding of the aircraft. Cayman Airways and Indonesia's airlines also suspended the use of the Boeing 737 MAX 8 aircraft, the latest version of the industry's most popular passenger airline. Indonesia's civil aviation said the grounding was undertaken to ensure flight safety and that the planes would be inspected. It may be recalled that Indonesia lost 189 of its citizens when a similar plane, that is Boeing 737 MAX 8 aircraft, plunged into the sea. Meanwhile, A national day of mourning has been declared in Ethiopia as a team of local and foreign investigators sift through the crash site to identify remains so they can be turned over to families, friends and relatives. Already the authorities in Ethiopia have reported that the so-called black box voice And data recorders have been retrieved from Bishofti, the site of the crash 60 kilometers southeast of the Ethiopian capital Addis Ababa. The United States-based independent agency that investigates aviation accidents, the National Transportation Safety Board, has sent a team of experts to carry out independent investigation into the crash. In Nairobi, Kenyan authorities have set up a support center at the Jomo Kenyatta International Airport, east of the capital, where families and relatives, as well as friends of 32 Kenyan citizens that died in the aircraft crash, are getting information from Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shemanyula.
1: The United Nations Environment Assembly, uh, the world's gathering of environmental ministers, experts as well as civil society organizations on Monday, paid tribute to those who died in the Ethiopian Airlines plane crash in Addis Ababa on Sunday. Delegates attending the conference as well as United Nations staff held a moment of silence in honor of victims of the tragic crash. Meanwhile, the United Nations Assembly opened with an urgent call to action to rethink consumption behavior for the sake of the planet's health. Sarah Kimani reports.
3: At the United Nations headquarters in Nairobi, a somber mood engulfed the meeting room where thousands gathered for this year's United Nations Environment Assembly. The UN family was in mourning following the tragic crash of Ethiopian Airlines flight ET-302 shortly after takeoff on Sunday. Maimouna Sharif is the acting director of the United Nations office in Nairobi. It has been difficult to navigate how to proceed without showing disrespect to the many life lost yesterday. Among those who died in the crash are 22 United Nations staff members, six of whom worked in Nairobi. Others who perished in the crash are delegates to the conference, as well as interpreters whose services were to be used at the meeting. As we mourn, let us reflect that our colleagues were willing to travel and work far from their homes and loved ones to help make the
2: world a better place to live.
3: At least 5,000 delegates are expected at the meeting, which is seeking urgent solutions to a more sustainable future. The
6: last four years have been the warmest years on record. We have all become too familiar within our countries. With news about flash floods, droughts, violent hurricanes, sand and dust storms, all of them accompanied by tragic loss of human lives. Unless we take action now, we will not be able to reverse these megatrends. There
3: the United Nations Environment warned that the world is past the pledging stage. Talk, the meeting heard, must be met with action. Joyce Musuya is the Acting Executive Director of the United Nations Environment. We have grown at the expense of nature, and it is time to turn a 360-degree U-turn. The meeting is expected to adopt a negotiated ministerial declaration and a number of resolutions submitted by Member States. Maymuna Sharif is the Acting Director General at the United Nations Office in Nairobi. As the world's highest level decision-making body on the environment, this assembly offers a historic opportunity to develop policies and foster a culture of innovation to advance sustainability and turn bold ideas into impactful action. Six presidents, including French President Emmanuel Macron, are expected at the meeting. Sarah Kimani, Kenya.
1: At least 28 people have died and 124 others injured following heavy rains that hit the southern region of Malawi last week. Heavy rains and floods have affected most parts of the southern African country following the formation of a tropical disturbance over the Mozambique Channel. At least 13 districts have been impacted, with Nsanje and Palombe hit the hardest. The forecast for the next several days says the storm will track east over the Mozambique Channel and will rapidly intensify. President Peter Mutarika has since declared a state of emergency and directed the Malawi Defense Force to quickly move in and assist those trapped and displaced. For an update on the direction of the storm, here's Pusiletso Mufukeng, a forecaster at the South African Weather Services.
6: Well, currently, there is uh, an intense tropical cyclone in the Mozambique Channel, and that uh, cyclone, before it actually reached there uh, in the previous week, it was moving. It started first as uh, a tropical low, moving over the northern uh, areas of uh, Mozambique, and it reached also the southern areas of uh, uh, Malawi before it went back to the channel and formed the tropical cyclone. And during its uh, cycling around, over the uh, Mozambique and the southern uh, um, Malawi. It actually did cause a lot of rain. There is a station there that actually showed that uh, about 500 millimeters had been recorded. That is why we had had uh, so much of uh, flooding, especially on Friday last week. So these conditions are are no longer expected over there. It is generally clear, it was generally clear over the weekend as uh, the, the system moved back into the channel. As we speak, the main problem is more on the western parts of Madagascar uh, where we're expecting uh, rainfall to be exceeding 100 millimeters of rain. Uh, we also have gale force winds, uh, but I must point out that this system will will move back to the northern Mozambique towards Thursday and Friday. So
5: you saying the storm is heading to Madagascar as we speak? Yes, as I speak,
6: there is an intense tropical cyclone that is uh, in the Mozambique channel. It's more towards uh, Mozambique, it's more towards uh, Madagascar, I mean. But I'm saying before then, last week, this system started as a tropical low. It moved mm-hmm. northwards, actually. From the northern Mozambique, it moved northwards to the southern southern areas of uh, Malawi, where it caused rainfall exceeding 500 millimeters over there. And then it moved back to the channel and it intensified even further. As we speak, we are actually seeing more problems over the western areas of Madagascar.
5: Now, are these floods common at this time of the season, Puseleto?
6: Indeed, the the floods are quite common uh, in Africa during summer period. We would remember that uh, this is a season of uh, tropical cyclones also a season for tropical depressions so because of uh, the time where we are floods are very common and in fact uh, uh, people are actually losing their lives quite a lot in in Mozambique and also Malawi and even some in DRC there's quite a number of people who died because of flooding and sometimes because of uh, tornadoes, although they are rare right there.
5: Now what precautionary measures should be taken, Pusiletsu, by those at risk of uh, being affected or those who are on the path of uh, this storm?
6: As South Africa, we cannot necessarily speak to the people directly, but we have a responsibility to actually uh, issue severe weather forecast for all the countries in SADEC SADC community. And uh, uh, therefore, the, the offices, the, the national offices in each country, has got the responsibility to share that information with the public and also to share the information with the agencies in the the country. And uh, of course, uh, from time to time, I do see that uh, people are being advised to move away, especially uh, those who are living closer to the low-lying areas, which are actually frequented by the floods. Uh, However, people have their reasons to stay in those areas, but uh, obviously they have to listen to the local uh, messages but also to listen to the government if perhaps there's a plan to move them to a different place which is safer.
0: And
1: that was Pusilet Zemufeking, weather forecaster at the South African Weather Services, talking to Kumbelo
7: Across the globe, every second there's always a breaking story.
2: Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia.
7: Our cutting-edge and
8: hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time.
2: George Muhango Channel Africa
8: Blantyre.
5: Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From
6: an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi,
7: Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa.
4: Ntakwanangatani in Lesotho.
7: Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa.
1: The time is now 1719 Central African time. You are still listening to Africa Digest with myself, Samora Mangesi, right here on Channel Africa. Now, South Africa has kicked off the National Sleep Week, which highlights the importance of good sleep health for individuals to best achieve their personal, family and professional goals. According to experts, many people are sleeping less than ever before. In fact, chronic sleep deprivation has been called the disease of our time. Lack of sleep has been linked to increased risk of several health conditions. To further discuss this, we are joined on the line by Dr. Robert Daniel, a specialist ophthalmologist with training in human psych- uh, physiology and in neuroscience in South Africa. Uh, Dr. Robert, thank you very much for joining us.
7: Thank you for having
1: me. Uh, first of all, I would like to know this. This is just for my own personal uh, interest. Uh, something that came up last week, someone tweeted about uh, ophthalmology. And uh, I really want to know what's the difference between an optometrist and an ophthalmologist?
7: So, the the primary difference between an optometrist and an ophthalmologist is an optometrist um, is somebody who sells spectacles and provides contact lenses. Mm -hmm. So, they're not actually medical doctors. Um, An ophthalmologist has to study to be a medical doctor first and then goes and specializes in ophthalmology. So, uh, it's a medical speciality and the primary difference is that we perform operations um, uh, and we, we also use medicines to treat various diseases mm-hmm. but uh, in fact we are surgeons and we do microscopic surgeon, uh, surgery on
1: the eye. Alright, now could you tell us why do you think it's necessary to have a week dedicated to increasing awareness about the importance of good sleep?
7: Well... Naturally, we we spend, well, we should be spending between seven and eight hours per night, which is a third of our life, really. But Mm -hmm. the big importance about sleep is is we're now learning that there's so much more to it and so much happens uh, during the time that you are sleeping, and that's fundamental for health. So while you are sleeping, you actually are not only storing memories, but very importantly, your brain releases the, the breakdown products of the metabolism that it was building up during the day. So, for example, um, if, if you are just sitting while you're chatting to me, your brain is using 20% of your body's energy just to do its thinking.
6: Oh, wow. But now, when it's
7: burning that, that glucose to, to, to perform its function, there are breakdown products which are created by that process. Now, the big thing is that you you have to sleep in order for them to be released.
1: Mm.
7: Now, uh, the reason you get tired is that there's a buildup of these breakdown products. So there's no way you can get around it. You have to sleep between seven and eight hours a day. Otherwise, you will suffer the consequences. And uh, that has major implications to not only your general health, but also to your brain health as you get older.
1: And what would you say are some of the reasons why South Africans sleep less than most nations in the world?
7: Well, uh, you know, obviously we we're quite a stressed society, but by and large, the big change that has happened with uh, with sleep and and modern society is that with technology, we have some uh, we have the ability to. To um, stay up late and use our devices and and switch on lights Hmm. and if we look at our natural physiology of how our brain knows that it's night or day it's actually due to light
1: Hmm.
7: and specifically it's uh, the blue color which is the specific wavelength in the visible spectrum now the visible spectrum is is the rainbow so we have all the colors in between infrared and ultraviolet. Mm-hmm. And one of those colors is actually the color of the sky. And that color blue is read by a specific receptor in our eye, which we discovered a couple of years ago. And that receptor is then wired into the part of your brain which you can't control. It's the part that makes your heart beat, controls your temperature, controls your thirst and hunger, we call these parts the basal ganglia, and that's sort of the, the part of your brain which keeps you alive. And your sleep center is also there. So this blue light switches the, the hormone called melatonin off. Mm-hmm. So in other words, when we see blue light, we cannot sleep. Now, the big trick is that there's actually a two-hour delay switch. So in other words, if you look at your device, your phone, before you, you switch the light off and go to sleep, you actually can't go into the proper phases of sleep for two hours.
3: Mm.
7: On top of that, there's also this cultural uh, sort of drive where we almost pride ourselves in having less sleep.
1: I was I about manage. to ask about that. Mm. But, but let's
7: I can manage on less sleep than you. you know, mm. but the, the classic one is actually uh, Margaret Thatcher. She only slept on average three hours a night. Mm. And uh, she got early dementia. So that's an example of how over years where you are not clearing those toxins from your brain, you then suffer long-term brain damage, and uh, that manifests itself as dementia. So there's a direct, in fact, an indirect uh, line on the graph between how many hours you sleep and your risk of dementia.
1: It's very interesting because especially within my generation you know you're you're just pre nineteen ninety ninety fours and uh, your, your, your born freeze as well. Uh, we see a lot of them posting on social media about how while they sleep, we grind. So it's interesting to find out that you can actually have uh, dementia because of a lack of sleep. So I'm gonna definitely put that up for all of my peers on my social media. But uh, tell us, what does research tell us about the, regarding the importance of getting optimal sleep? And I think more especially with the function of the body uh, in today and not the long-term effects.
0: So,
7: as I said, you cannot store memory uh, unless you have good sleep. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I beg your The second thing is it affects your immunity. So, mm. if you're not getting good sleep, you're not going to ward off uh, colds and infections and other problems. And then in the slightly more medium term, people who don't sleep well, uh, for example, shift workers, have a much higher incidence Uh, Or rate of getting high blood pressure and sugar diabetes heart disease and these other sort of uh, lifestyle type of diseases Um, So if if, you know, there's the immediate uh, And then there's the the medium term and then those long-term problems
1: and how is the lack of sleep uh, linked to things probably like mental illness
7: well, again, you you would need to clear those toxins every night, mm-hmm. um, so that that in itself can affect brain function. And people who are sort of teetering on on mental illness can be pushed over the edge. But then you also have uh, your 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 normal functioning of the brain, which is a chemical reaction. So if the brain isn't in its proper rhythms. You can easily um, slip out. And then the the big uh, and and sort of most prevalent uh, mental disease is depression. Mm. So your mood is very strongly uh, linked to sleep. So if we don't get enough sleep, we can easily become depressed or or anxious. You know, you can suffer from anxiety.
1: And is there a way that uh, people can actually plan their sleep? I mean, with the fast-paced life that we're all trying to live nowadays, um, taking work home, working on laptops, is there a way that we can actually just plan our sleep? Yeah. So
7: the first thing, (coughs) we always recommend, excuse me, we recommend something called sleep hygiene. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very important that you have these daily rhythms and and almost uh, routines. So if you think back to the caveman, we, we would have, When the sun starts going down and the sky is orange, the blue light is now fading, we start to get ready and find a place to spend the night. And it's a similar thing, you know, today. We we should really have a regular routine. We should um, prepare and get ourselves into a sleep mode, not eat too close to when we're going to be going to sleep. And then uh, there, there's this very important aspect of the light that's coming into your eye. So if you notice the most of the news channels, like uh, CNN, BBC, and, and uh, these 24-hour news channels, they always have a blue back- background, and that is in order to keep you awake and, and make you watch for a longer period instead of going to sleep. So what, what we did was we, we worked out uh, that if we cut out... The, the one wavelength of blue light that switches your melatonin off, you can then just use this filter and uh, you can switch your sleep on. So on top of your sleep hygiene, if you now cut out the exposure to blue light. So there's two ways of doing it. You can either kind of uh, not have any screens and not have any lights, and you can pretty much have a campfire outside <laughs> and go to bed it's not really practical for most of us. so of um, you can uh, you can then get a pair of glasses which you put over, uh, or you just you wear the glasses. Then orange colour and that cuts out the blue light, and then the blue light won't be switching your melatonin off, which will allow it to then be produced normally. So you'll be getting a two extra two hour boost in your current sleeping pattern. Which, on top of your regular eight hours, is how it's supposed to be. All right. Uh, what you would then do is wear these glasses while you're watching TV, while you're looking at your your devices, or reading your emails, or whatever you're doing. You then switch the lights off. It's important that you have a dark room. So uh, any pilot lights or on-off lights and on on devices or or um, you know perhaps music systems or something in in your bedroom, you should put a put a press stick over that light so it doesn't shine, mm. um, and then you take these glasses off once you've you switched the light out. That way, you, you're mimicking a natural environment and getting enough melatonin, which is very, very important for for both clearing the, the toxins and also melatonin is the strongest antioxidant we know about in the body, which is anti-cancer. It's... Mm. Um, uh, you know, it's a very important hormone that, that you need uh, during your sleep.
1: All right. Dr. Robert Daniel, thank you very much for joining us and letting us know why we need so much sleep and why, uh, why South Africa has just kicked off National Sleep Week. That was Dr. Robert Daniel, a specialist ophthalmologist uh, with training in human physiology and neuroscience in South Africa. Uh, the time is now 17.32. Let's head on over to Amanda Machaka for a quick update with regards to the news headlines.
2: Thank you, Samora. Good evening. Judges in Algeria have become the latest group to turn against President Abdelaziz Bouteflika's bid for a fifth term in office. Lawyers launched a 48-hour walkout to demand the Constitutional Council reject the 82-year-old's re-election bid on the grounds of incapacity to carry out the role. Airlines in Ethiopia, China and Indonesia have grounded jets of a Boeing 737 MAX-8. This as investigators continue their probe into a brand new passenger jet that crashed outside Addis Ababa at the weekend, killing all 157 people on board. And meteorologists have issued a tropical cyclone warning in Mozambique after at least 10 people were killed in flooding. More than 60,000 people continue to be affected by floods in the Tete and Zambesia provinces, with authorities warning that at least 120,000 people are at risk of flooding and heavy rains in the coming days. And those were your news headlines.
1: Investment Fund Africa, otherwise known as IFA, an investment fund with a primary focus on Africa, has announced that it has secured $6 billion for the first phase of its drive to develop infrastructure in Africa. The fund provides debt finance to early-stage infrastructure projects within the national development plans of target countries, and it was founded six years ago. For more on the fund, Channel Africa's Zucona Muso spoke to IFA Chairperson Neil DeBeer.
9: I think what people need to understand in a very simple manner is that the greatest thing that we as a United African continent requires today is the development of broad-based infrastructure so that we can build the next tier and the next tier of developing an independent, economic, tradable Africa. And the ISA, as a 100% owned, managed and educated fund, is trying to achieve that by going into African countries and slowly but surely fund critical small and medium enterprise projects for the assistance of, of infrastructure development on the continent.
4: Now, you say that this project was inspired by the lack of modernization um, infrastructure and, of course, the backlog that Africa has when it comes to infrastructure. Let's talk a little bit about, about that and some of the in- achievements of this uh, project since it started.
9: I I think with every Negative, there comes a positive. I think when a person really digs deep into any scenario, you can find a positive scenario on anything. The positive thing about the continent of Africa, which I have now traveled for the past 15 to 20 years of my life, is the fact that it is undeveloped. That gives us the opportunity to develop it, but it also gives us the opportunity to, may I say, plan infrastructure development. We have the right to sit back and say, we have a green continent, how do we now learn from every other continent in the world of how not to do it, and in our continent to do it. So the, the opportunity is, in actual fact, the fact that the IFA has looked at a multitude of infrastructure industries, but we focused on the ones that we believe are the critical ones that Africa can play a leadership in. Energy, without a doubt, basic infrastructure of ports, harbors, and roads, and more than anything else, agriculture. Those are the three things, in my opinion, where Africa can lead the world.
4: Now, why do you think, Neil, there is still um, a lack of investment from within the continent, um, particularly on infrastructure development? Is Africa not taking its own infrastructure seriously?
9: I- I'll tell you, and, and I can just tell you, I- I'm renowned for just saying the right and the truth. <laughs> the reason we are not, as a continent, becoming not the next big thing, we are the thing. Everybody says Africa is the next big thing. No, mm, not mm. we are the thing. In Koza, we say, nom slange. we are the biggest thing. Mm. But as Africans, we have decided, again, that we will be economically colonized. We are not going to reap the benefit of Africans. So we need three things blatantly. We need better, more mature leadership on the continent of Africa. Once we have great leadership that don't think of themselves, but think of the future generation. Think economic, not revolution, not guns, not war, not greed. We will be able to build a continent that is unbelievable. But we've got to believe, firstly, in ourselves. And that is the magic, that Africans think that we are the mm. greatest in the world. Secondly, yeah. corruption. But corruption is not an African patriot. I'll say that again. Corruption is not patented by Africans. It is a global problem, but we as Africans must focus on creating a continent trustworthy for investment. Get those two things right, build trust and get leadership, we are on. Game on.
4: Now, I can hear you. This is something that you're certainly very passionate about. Now, I know that, um, as i you focus on six countries at a time. Um, talk to us around uh, the countries that you're focusing on this time around.
9: How can an African today, irrespective of poverty, irrespective of anything else, not be passionate about a continent where the Serengeti, Kilimanjaro, and the Vibrant waters of the Victoria. How can it not be pumping through your veins? Mm -hmm. And how can you not be? You must be. Mm -hmm. So here's the explanation. We've decided that Africa is an elephant. This meal we're sitting down is an elephant, but we've decided to eat it. It's vibrant, only, only. So we know that five countries on the continent need infrastructure development, but we've decided that's our macro plan. But the micro-implementation strategy is six countries at a time. And those countries that we chose are the countries that are small, that are effectively ready, and that we can make the biggest impact. What we did was we used what I call the brick analogy. Uh If you take a brick and you throw it into the Atlantic Ocean, it will cause the smallest splash you've ever seen. But if you take the same brick, and you throw it into a bathtub of water, it makes a wave that's undeniable. So wow. if we yeah. took 100 million and we put it into Nigeria, with respect, it will just disappear. Yeah. But if you take 100 million US and you put it into Lesotho, you will get a movement that's unbelievable.
1: And that was Neil DeBeer, chairperson of the Investment Fund Africa, talking to Zucona Meso. The United Nations Science Policy Business Forum, hosted by the UN Environment Programme, is underway in Nairobi, Kenya. One of the topics to be discussed at the forum is the role of the private se- sector in supporting the Paris Agreement. This is an agreement within the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, dealing with greenhouse gas emissions mitigation, uh, along with mitigation, adaption, as well as finance, starting in the year 2020. Dr. Gail Schuler, Vice President uh, of Sustainability and Product Stewardship and Chief Sustainability Officer at the 3M says the private sector has a historic duty to support and extend the Paris Agreement by taking bold actions to embed sustainability into the way it does business. Here she elaborates.
10: I've been incredibly honoured to participate in the United Nations Environment Assembly The event has been wonderful so far and it's really about bringing together science, business and policy leaders and it's been a great opportunity to bring together both the public sector and the private sector for addressing these global challenges that we all collectively face. And so, it's been really a a who's who of experts in both governments and industry as well as the non-government organizations really bringing together what are the challenges we face and how can we best collaborate to address them. And I believe one of the topics that will be
2: discussed at the forum is the role of the private sector in supporting the Paris Agreement. What role should the private sector be playing to support this agreement?
10: I think that the private sector has an extremely important role in all things related to sustainability, including the Paris Agreement. What we know is that governments alone or NGOs alone cannot do this on their own. Private sector has the funds, has large organizations to mobilize, crosses geographic boundaries, whether it's a local, state, or national level, and they can really move the needle by making sustainability both a business opportunity and the right thing to do. And that's where 3M is so committed to applying science to really help improve life around the world and that is something that a number of our partners, whether they're customers or suppliers, that we can do together in collaboration with governments and with non-government organizations.
2: You also expected to be at a panel discussion discussing the same topic of the private sector's involvement in supporting the Paris Agreement without really preempting what is it that you will tell the forum but are you in a position to just give us a hint of what your your speech to the forum will be all about?
10: Oh, I'd be happy to do that. Um, The speech with the forum is really all about how 3M as a global manufacturer across 70 countries with 93,000 employees and 9,000 scientists, it's about how we can really make a difference in partnership with governments and NGOs to help advance the Paris Agreement and other things around sustainability. For example, last November, we launched a new strategic sustainability framework, and the components of this are all around our ambition of applying science to improve every life around the planet. We have such a diversity of products that we touch people from post-it notes to dental fillings to pieces of their automobiles, pieces of their electronics devices, Um, and we're really in people's lives all around the world. So when we think about how to improve lives, we have identified three key areas for our strategic sustainability framework that we use as our North Star, if you will, to help guide what we do. So the first piece is around applying science for the circular economy. The second is about science for climate. And the third is about science for community. And so, in each of these areas, we have very specific aspirations and sets of goals within them that we're striving to make sure that we address on a daily basis. We also announced um, in December, as part of COP24, that we have a commitment that every new product we launch will have a sustainability value commitment, and that's every product that of the thousand products that we launch every year. Every new product that we're entering into our new product introduction system in 2019 will have a sustainability value commitment. So we've already started on that. The next is that last, um, last week we just announced a commitment to 100% renewable energy to source our global electricity. So we started with our headquarters, with effective March 1, 100% of our headquarters location is powered with renewable electricity. And over the coming years, we have joined the RE100 and we're committing to 50% of our renewable energy by 2025 and to 100% um, after that. So these are all commitments we've made in all ways that we're, we're committed to making a difference going forward and things that are important for 3M as we collaborate globally. And what advice would you
2: give to companies that are on a path to adopting a sustainability leadership role?
10: I think it's really important to understand uh, what both your capabilities are and where you make the biggest impact. So when we think about our three pillars around circular economy, around climate, and around communities, we came to those conclusions because we knew that those were areas that we have the ability to make an impact, and we have the capability to make an impact. So if you're, for example, an automobile company, you're going to think about lightweighting your vehicles and being more energy efficient. Um, and being safer. If you're a company that is helping with the electric grid, you're going to think about how you can build in more renewable electricity. So both of those types of things help address the climate challenges that we face and help both improve the company's footprint but also apply the skills that they have to really make a difference for the world and for the next generation.
1: And that was Dr. Gail Schuler, Vice President for Sustainability and Product Stewardship, as well as Chief Sustainability Officer at 3M on the line from Nairobi, talking to Ntlanta Masangu. A quick uh, reminder that if you want to get in contact with us, you can do so by sending us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or you can send us a WhatsApp to plus27763003327. That is plus27763003327. And on Twitter, It's at Channel Africa 1. And don't forget that whilst you're there, be sure to follow us. We are available on all those platforms for you to interact with us. Anyway, uh, we are going to be with you for the next 14 minutes uh, before we take a break and then come back a little bit later on in the evening. Let us know what you think of any of the stories that we've covered so far. We've had some very interesting ones, uh, especially your families who have those who've perished in Ethiopian airline crash who arrived in Kenya and South Africa kicking off a campaign aimed at highlighting the importance of good sleep health for individuals to best achieve their personal, family and professional goals. The time is now 17.47, so Central African time. Uh, it's time for us to find out what's happening in the world of money. Here's Tracy Boomgard.
0: Thank you, Zikona. The bustling Gatuna border linking Rwanda and Uganda has become a ghost town following Rwanda's decision to close the border and stop its nationals from crossing into Uganda. Custom officials held a crisis meeting late last week to discuss the loss of revenue. Uganda's Revenue Authority Customs at Gatuna has reported that before the partial closure, the country earned between US$6,700 and US$8,100 per day in road-user charges on non-Ugandan-registered vehicles. This past week, it, sli- it collected slightly over 1,000 dollars in charges. South Africa and Zimbabwe have been urged to keep their socio-economic, cultural and political antenna in sync. This as South African President Cyril Ramaphosa arrives in Harare for the Ban National Commission with his Zimbabwean counterpart Emerson Mnangagwa. The Commission is expected to deepen and strengthen relations between the two countries and unlock critical value for sustainable development. South Africa is Zimbabwe's biggest trading partner. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari has promised to introduce new programs and projects that will make agriculture more attractive to Nigerians and increase jobs in the sector. Buhari was addressing representatives of community and development associations from Darra, Emirate and Katsina State. He added that Nigerians are already benefiting from the good agricultural policies of his administration. Lifestyles are changing and standards of living among the poor are rising. Electric car maker Tesla has announced its increasing prices of its electric cars. This after it said it would close an unspecified number of stores to save costs. Tesla, which has 378 stores and service locations, says it has been evaluating its retail locations and has decided to keep significantly more stores open than was previously announced it added that it will continue to evaluate the stores over the next few months SA's third largest bank absa is predicting that its revenue growth will outperform that of cost increases in 2019 after slower economic growth weighed on its capability to generate income the banker cited that customer expenses will probably remain constrained in south africa this year with the economy expected to grow 1.7%. ABSA is one year into implementing a turnaround strategy after Barclays sold off its controlling stake. This gave the company an opportunity to take on more risk in its retail banking unit, which accounts for more than half of its profits. The U.S. dollar is trading at 357.74. Nigerian Naira. 10.55 Botswana Pula at 98.91 Kenyan shilling and at 11.99 Zambian kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 3.86 Brazilian hail, 66.32 Russian ruble, 69.86 Indian rupee, 6.72 Chinese yuan, and at 14.42 South African rand. The US dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and at 88 cents to the euro. In commodities, gold is trading at $1,296 and platinum at $810 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is $66.10 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard.
1: Let's cross over to Neto Chimani with the sport.
8: Thank you, Samara. A very good evening to you all, sport fans. Starting with football news. Bafana Bafana coach Stuart Baxter has announced a 24-man squad for the crucial Africa Cup of Nations, Afghan qualifier against Libya. The fixture will take place on Sunday, March the 24th at the Stade Dayeb M'Hiri in Tunisia, with kickoff at 1800 Central African Time. Baxter has included Kizza Chiefs goalkeeper Bruce Vuma as a third-choice goalkeeper, while Bongani Zungu, Rivaldo Kutsiye and Lars Feldweke make a return to the squad.
11: There are keepers that are in form, and I think we all need to understand the difference between being an in-form player and a potential international player. You know, because there are many players that I get thrown recommended both by coaches, both by the media, both by people on the street. My wife, the dog, everybody, everybody knows a good player, and many of those players are in-form players now. I have to look at it from a bigger perspective and say, but is this, uh, this going to serve the national team and the nation both short and long term? And a lot of those players that are recommended disappear, and some of them don't, and i I'd probably get it wrong. But in this instance, both, uh, everybody that we've spoken to is on the same page with this. So those are your three goalkeepers.
8: Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta says the government of Kenya will this year fully fund all national teams participating in international sports events. He pointed out that sports, culture and arts are crucial to economic development of the country and therefore can no longer be left in the hands of well-wishers to sponsor their activities. President Kenyatta was speaking on Sunday at the fourth edition of the Beyond Zero half marathon that was organized by his wife, the First Lady Margaret Kenyatta.
6: I think this year, I can proudly say that sports, culture and arts will truly take center stage in our Republic. I can say with certainty, Harambe Stars hawatakuwa wanabeg boro Fund from January to February and ensure that Harambe Stars becomes a success. I want to assure you that our rugby teams will be fully sponsored by the government this year. I want to assure you that our netball and all our national teams will be fully sponsored by government this year.
8: The Kenya National Rugby 7 team is relegation-threatened after participating in half of the season's leagues in the World Sevens Series. Suja collected one point from the Vancouver Sevens League of the World Rugby Sevens Series in Canada to drop to 14th on the standings with 18 points. Channel Africa's Francis Mudegi
1: reports. Kenya suffered five defeats, three in pool matches and two in the knockout on Sunday in Canada, going down 22-14 to relegation-threatened Japan in the 13th place semi-final. In the match, kenya did end with consolation a try and it was Shadon singer Monoko, the mean machine captain getting his first try on the world series in the challenge trophy quarterfinal kenya suffered another upset falling 47 47 to australia it was the third of six legs in the world seven series that kenya failed to register a single win after the opening dubai sevens and sydney sevens during the fourth leg and finally
8: in athletics news Russian athletes will remain banned from international competitions until further notice, says Athletics' governing body. The IAAF banned Russia in November 2015 because of evidence of state-sponsored doping. The ban will remain in place until samples and data from Moscow's former anti-doping laboratory are made available. Russia must also pay all costs incurred by work of the IAAF's task force. It is the 10th time the IAAF has turned down Russia's appeal for reinstatement, having requested the same assurances when it upheld the ban in December. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and ETO Chemani.
0: This is Africa Digest.
1: And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Samor Magesi, producer Liana Malme and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you so much for listening.